Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. We're talking about generosity. We're talking about giving. Yay! We just got out of Black Friday. We're going into Cyber Monday. What a perfect weekend to talk about money stuff, right? Anyone? Anyone amped on that? Okay, just hang tight because we're going to redeem and maybe heal and cleanse some broken or bad ideas around this that you've heard from the church, that you've heard maybe from a pastor, you've had a tough experience. We're going to redeem some of that. Uh, if you're in your workbooks, this is session 10. This is the 10th the week in a 10-part series called Flourish. And there's a workbook, if you, if you don't have one, you have no idea what I'm talking about, they're in the lobby. Flourish was an idea that we thought, you know what, this is a picture of who Watermark is, at least who we aspire to be, who we feel like we're called, we were put on this corner of 3186 Pullman uh, to represent these things in the world. But not only that, it could be a great study, a great devotional for someone who's brand new to faith because there's rhythms in here, in this book, which is, of course, based on the Bible, that lend to human flourishing, flourishing in every area of your life. And so here we are at the tail end of this series. You can go back and listen to it. I encourage you to do that or grab the book and go back from the beginning. But whether you're new to faith, you've been in church for a long time, maybe you're kind of plateaued in this whole walk with God, Jesus, his word thing. Um, The book would remind us what are the actual rhythms that lead to flourishing. And one of those integral rhythms is in fact generosity. Not just our money, not just our stuff, but our time. Each one of you has a talent that that is uniquely delegated to you to use in this world. No one else can play that song. No one else can play that role like you can, the way God uniquely instilled in you. And so I want to start from a rather practical place. There's probably people here in the room this morning that are just trying to figure out, hey, how do I even figure out my student loan debt? How do I even, you know, find out a place to live where I'm not spending 50% of my income on rent? And there's people all the way on the other side of the room who are like, you know, a couple years away from retirement. And of course, everyone else in between. But I want you to look at this picture really quick, this practical picture. It says, 40% of Americans have less than $400 saved. 40%. 33% of Americans have zero saved for retirement. And 23 have between a dollar and 10 grand. We spend too much and we save too little. And those in the church are often a reflection of these statistics. So very practical. And yet, I, I was listening as I was preparing for today, I listened to a, a money expert, his name is Dave Ramsey, and Dave, he's calling pastors out, he says, you guys can't even talk about the tithe, which is just a fancy word for 10%, this is a biblical idea, it comes from 10% of what you make that you would, you would give to the church, he says, you can't even talk about that until you've helped young people manage their money, or get out of debt, and this is guy, he's this voice that's really big uh, as a voice on debt. And today, I wonder why. We lease phones. <laughs> we'll lease an iPhone over two years. We're going to lease a phone. We lease cars, of course, homes. We lease shoes. The other day, I saw an ad for these pair of Nikes that, yeah, you know I wanted to get. And they were $500. In the little subtext, the line said, you could finance these shoes over 41 weeks at zero APR. And I was like, my sweet Lord, we're going to finance the Nikes now? And there's maybe one, someone in the room, please, you're not judged for doing that if you've ever financed your shoes, okay? I love you. You are welcome here. I'm glad you're here, okay? But we lease our phones, our cars, our shoes, our homes, and we eat out, and we eat out, and we eat out, and then we eat out again and again and again, and then we give roughly about 2% uh, to the church. 
That's what the data says. That's what some of the studies say. And that's not a perfect fitting bill for every one of us in here. And if, again, you're feeling like, oh, no, here comes the punchline for the money talk, hang with me for a second. Because I have one question I want to get after this morning. I have one question. Those things are actually all beside the point. I have one question I want to find out. Could we imagine a world where our talent, our treasure, our resources were released towards God's plans and purposes? Can we imagine... Can we imagine here on this planet, on this earth, in this city, in this place now, not just the kingdom yet to come, the kingdom of heaven, but here and now, what would happen if funds and talents and time, the one irreplaceable commodity, were released towards his unique plans and purposes? That's actually what I want to dive into. Because when I read the text, when I read scripture, I think that's one of the biggest ideas. One person said that if that were true, if people did give the quote-unquote minimum, that's what 10% is, this is just a reference point, that if they give the minimum, just in the national church alone, those who call themselves Christians, we could release $165 billion. $165 billion to play with. They could play with that in the kingdom here and now. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? I want to focus on that picture and on that place. And yeah, maybe stir up some stuff and challenge us, but we, like I said, I want to redeem and restore some of the language around money talk in the church. Maybe it's just the jaded kind of, uh, you know, millennial worldview that I carry. Uh, but some of us have been hurt by talks on money and, and, the, and the church's position and what do we do with our stuff. And I want to debunk some of those myths. That's the very first thing I'm going to do. So that one of the myths is that we shouldn't have it. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible cautions against a love of stuff and money. Well, you shouldn't spend it. Here's another myth. You shouldn't spend it. The Bible says, make a plan for your money. That's very clear. I could list the Proverbs on top of Proverbs about how our God is a planning God, that our God is a strategic and ordered God. And yet I love Dave Ramsey's quote. Most of us, we don't know where our money went last week. We can't remember where it went. But let's get rid of the myth that we shouldn't spend it, shouldn't have it. We, we should give. We should give out a moral obligation. The Bible doesn't say that. There's a wonderful amount of Christians in the world. In the United States, about 40% of Christians, pastors, staff, churches, believe that actually it's not mandatory. They believe that you should have a relationship. That's what the Bible talks about. We just sang a song a second ago that we are a child of God. You are a child of God. That's the relational language of the Bible. When you're a child, that evokes something. When you've received, you've been on the receiving end of generosity, and I'll tell you, I have. Everything I have, everything I am, the reason I have seven kids and I'm able to work at a church full time is because I'm on the receiving end of wild generosity at the hands of my parents, my in-laws, my grandparents-in-law, wildly. So far be it for me to say, oh man, I've received all this good stuff. They allow me to eat and work and live in this place and then I'm just going to be like this with those that I see. No, if you're a child, that's what the Bible talks about, relationship. What are the other myths that we've heard? You should give and then you'll get. Classic. So-called prosperity gospel. You should just give and then you're going to get all the riches and all the stuff and it's going to be tied up with a bow. Uh, the Bible says most of the stuff maybe that will happen, maybe will be in here. <laughs> and the world has figured this out. The genius of generosity, the genius of gratitude and thanksgiving and bringing offerings because you're thankful. The benefit you may experience may be just up here. I know people that give, they get just a base for their sales job and then they get every commission and they put a donation on top, 10% from the commission that they give. And they still have tough things in their life and they're following Jesus, they're remaining faithful. So we should give it all away. Maybe we should just give it all away. 
We're getting closer to something that's a shade of truth. The Bible says that Jesus cares. This is Jesus now. Jesus cares just as much about what we hold on to as to what we give away. Let that be really clear. If you look at the message of Jesus and you read the Bible cover to cover when it talks about greed and generosity and money and stuff, he cares just as much about what we hold on to and what we spend on as what we give away. These are important, important things to look at. So what does the Bible really say? Those are the myths. Open your Bibles or your Bible app to Luke 12. We're going to be in Luke 12, the second half of the chapter. And I want to take a look directly from the source. What's going on? What's the big idea? Because we have a classic verse here. A classic verse. Some of us know this just even in culture. We forget it comes from the Bible. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Famous, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. comes from Luke 12. But if you look at the context, he's talking about worry. Luke said that earlier during worship, is that some of us have incredible fear this morning. You don't have to raise your hand, but just nod your head. If you're here this morning, you have an amazing fear and apprehension around money matters. If you have fear or anxiety around money matters in your life right now, huge deal. And worry. So God's, Jesus, in this, in this chapter, he's talking about uh, stuff. He's talking about possessions within the context of worry. And he speaks right to the heart. He cuts through everything. Jesus, he has a message for the wealthy. He has a message for the poor. He has a message for the worried. And he cuts through all of those experiences with one word. He's got one big idea. It was the thing that Jesus liked to talk about. It was the very first thing he said, one of his first sermons, first words out of his mouth. It's this idea. Does anyone know what it is? What's one of Jesus' favorite subjects? What is it? Come on. We're, we're collaborative here. Money, well, that's awesome. You get extra credit for that. Way to go. The the whole Bible talks about that. But kingdom, kingdom, kingdom is one of his biggest things that Jesus loved to talk about. Here's your big idea for this morning. Okay, write this down. This is critical. Giving, God's great either or of the kingdom. Giving, generosity. This is God's great either or of the kingdom. The kingdom, just really quickly for definition's sake. The kingdom is a real place. It's a real place here on earth that, is, that represents God's reign. Anywhere that God is reigning, here and now, is God's kingdom. And, it's, and, and, and God's kingdom is about a sold-out life, not 10%. Not 10%. It's about a sold-out life. And we're going to look at Luke 12, and we're going to see how true that is. Look at the first verse, so we're going to pick it up in verse 13, okay? Follow along in verse 13. It says, exhortation not to worry. See, I told you. Verse 13. Then someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother... The inherit, to share the inherit, to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to a man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator between you? I love the sibling quabbling. That's what we have. We open with a sibling dispute that they're bringing before Jesus. But I think it's really critical we pause here and talk about audience. Audience is a, is a key part of learning to read the Bible. You look at context, what is going on in and around the passage, what's going on in the time. And one of the things you can look at is the audience. Well, guys, at this moment in Jesus' ministry, he's walking along the road, he's with his team, and there's pretty much two people who are there. People who want to get a need met, and people who are there for the show. People who want to see the miracles, the signs, the wonders. Yeah, there's probably some religious elite. We know the really elitist Jews were there as well. They would often question him and badger him. But here's the principle. Why is it so important to talk about this part of context? Because I think, are, are we really that different today, you guys? Some of us, we still view God as this cosmic slot machine (laughs) that we ask, ask, ask. But actually, he's a living, he's a loving father interested in a personal relationship. So some of us, we need to take a speed back. Yes, ask. The Bible says that. Ask, seek, and knock, and your father will hear you. He will respond. He will come to the door. 
So you do that. Do that all day long. But it takes t- a relationship takes time. Have you spent time with the Father? Have you invested the time to ask God what he might have you do with your time, your talent, your treasure? Have you spent that time with him? Are we still following all along, waiting for the show to hit, waiting for the big thing to drop? That's the first key thing I see about the audience. Here we go into verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What's Jesus doing? He saw the question behind the question. It's not just a conflict in a family. This guy's greedy. He's got his eyes on one thing. He's tying up his whole life and his whole future in the inheritance, what's going to be divided amongst them. And I think there's a beautiful passage that I would marry. I'd put these together. This is from Proverbs 30. It says, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who's the Lord anyway? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. There's something we have to watch out for, you guys. As we look at this idea of giving, of generosity with all that we are, with our whole life laying things down for him and for his kingdom, there are some blinders that we have. The first blinder that I want to talk about is is what we see there in Proverbs. If I have too much, all of a sudden I believe, man, maybe I had a hand in that. Maybe I had a piece of that. Maybe that was on me. We take credit. Either we take credit or we give it. And that's an easy temptation, isn't it? Because we can say once we take, for example, like a huge business deal or a great business project that comes through, and we land on the other side of it and we say, man, God, I can't believe it. You did that. That was awesome. But if you back that train up a little bit, you'd say, man, you know, I, I kind of had my hands in on the process too. Like I was in there working my stuff. Like I knew what I was doing. I had to, there, was, there was a moment there where I was, you know, and it's like, where did that talent even come from? Where did your psyche come from? Where did your functioning in the business world come from? Who gave that to you? Either we take the credit or we give the credit. That's a blinder. We begin to believe that we are God in those moments, and we're not. A second part of the blinders, and this is really critical, is a cultural blinder. Either, either we serve culture or we serve God's will. Either we serve cultural and, and the culture's view of the time, whatever's hot and whatever is the, the most pressing subject. I mean Christian culture, by the way. Take, for example, uh, the, uh, s- sexual intimacy. Because the Christian church, especially in this generation, has taken that subject and ran with it. And said, this is the most elevated subject of our time. We've got to go after the LGBT community, and we have to make it really clear where we stand. And yes, we should speak truth. That's wonderful. And a gracious dialogue where we've actually earned the trust of someone across the table. That's wonderful. But we have, what, maybe a dozen verses or so that talk specifically about that type of community and about people that struggle with that? You know how many verses we have that address greed and generosity and money and stuff? Over 2,000. Over 2,000. There are cultural blinders at play here, you guys. Either we serve culture's will or we're in God's will for one of the most pressing matters on his heart. When I look at Proverbs 30, just speaking for myself for a second, that gives me a prayer. I want to start my day and I want to say, God, just give me enough to satisfy my needs before I start thinking that I'm the guy and I'm the one and I've produced it, and I've achieved it. Just, Lord, give me enough to satisfy my needs and let me know where to direct my resources today. The time that I expend, that I won't get back from yesterday. The time that I expend, the money that I use, my talent, how I use all of these things I've been given. Direct them today, God, I pray. Look at verse 16. 
He then told a parable. Get ready. Are you guys strapped in? These are not my words. Don't look at me, okay? This is Jesus. Uh, so fight him. Take it up with him. We have people that will pray with you after, and you can fight the person who's volunteering to pray for you. I don't know. But this is where it's going to get pretty serious. So just strap in and have fun with it. I don't know. Verse 16, then he told him a parable. The land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. So he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my stuff. I have so much crops. What am I going to do with all my stuff? Anyone here have a stuff problem? You guys got a stuff problem out there? There's a couple of you guys that got a stuff problem. There's one or two of us that got a stuff problem out there. I happen to live in a place right now that has a garage. I get that that's a commodity in and of itself. Not everyone has a garage. We know what garages are for, right? What are garages are for? Oh, it's not for autom- automobiles. No. No, 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 no. It's for stuff. On top of stuff. On top of stuff. On top of stuff. My neighbor, who is moving from his house after his whole family lived there for like literally two generations in Costa Mesa, he came over one day and he had this beautiful plastic tote. This is a pr- plastic box with like the covering. And, he, and inside is the most well-kept children's toys I've ever seen in my life. It's because it's from his son that he used to play with 12 years ago. It's some kind of like fusion of a rector set meets Legos. It's like you can build bridges and pathways and these automated battery-driven cars go over the bridge. I'm looking at this stuff. The batteries still work, y'all. Like it was so clean. This is a box that he put away and then did not see for 12 years and then came out to give his neighbor. I'm like, wow. I love my neighbor. He's a sweet, sweet man. He's helped me like fix everything around my house because all I can do is light bulbs. I'm just trying to point out really quick. I'm just trying to point out really fast, because this might be your only takeaway this morning, and God bless you. Go handle your stuff issues. But cleansing this stuff is important because you know what I'm going to say next. Either we own our stuff or, come on, that's so good. Uh, Sorry, I'm yelling at you because you guys talk back to me, and I love that. Either we own our stuff or our stuff's going to own us. And we know there's a semblance of truth in that. Look at verse 18. Then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. I will tear down and I will make bigger. This was the near title of today's message. Tearing down and building up. Tearing down and building up. Do you understand that I I feel like that sums up most of life? That we are in the business of tearing down and building up. That the Holy Spirit through us and through us is in the business of tearing down and building up. If you don't believe me, take the Bible's word for it. And if you think, man, Ben, you started with either or. This whole morning's message is about either or. That's a little harsh, don't you think? Let's take, just look at scripture. Again, don't look at me. Let's look at scripture. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life or death. Matt 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it in. You, if your right eye causes you to sin, you could keep it or you could get rid of it. Philippians 1, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you see the polarity of what God does and what Jesus does, what Paul interpreting Jesus does as he outlines for us what our life is built on? In our life, let's move to application. In our life, what are the things that he might ask us to tear down so something that leads to flourishing could be built in its place? What are the areas where we're making investments of our time, our talent, our treasure, our stuff, our money? Where are the places where we might tear that down and build it somewhere where the return will be eternal? Will be eternal. What you have to understand about kingdom and why I'm using this either or language is because there's no value-free investment. Do we get that? 
I know I don't. I know I struggle with that. Because if I've just scrolled on my phone for 30 minutes in the morning on Instagram, or if I've just taken all this time, if I've spent, if my wife and I have spent $100 last month at Starbucks, there's no such thing, that's $1,200 a year. There's no such thing as idle investments. There's no such thing as, oh, this is just a neutral time that I expended, that I poured out. There's no such thing. There is an investment for the things of this world which will eventually not have a life beyond this world, and there's an investment in the things that will never fade. That's what I read when I go through Jesus' words. That's why I came to a place, a location of saying, man, he operates in these either-ors. He's challenging us to have a new definition of giving, of generosity, of 10%. There's something so much deeper than that that he wants to get at in our hearts. There's no value-free investment. There's no neutral investment. Look at 19. He's going to go. He's just, he's going to go for the jugular. It's crazy. Verse 19. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God said to him, you fool! This very night, your life will be demanded back from you. But who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Your life will be demanded back from you. You see, as Christians, we have like this fundamental biblical truth that we subscribe to. We do. Sometimes it bears repeating and reminding. But we have this, this thing that we subscribe to, that, that God owns it all. That God owns it all. He created it. It belongs to him. So for Christians in the room, a really quick gut check. When I read that verse and I say, your very life will be demanded back from you. Now we're talking about lease language. Now we're talking about stuff being put on loan. Now we're talking about what we borrow and we use for a short time. But here's the picture that I see. Again, let's go to Paul. This is a letter to the Ephesians. He says, God destined us to be his what? He destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his good will and plan and to honor his glorious what? Grace, that he, that's not a very exciting grace. Oh man, it's a perfectly good gift. Grace that he has given to us freely through the son whom he loves. We have been what? Ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures. I love that part because that's me, I'm falling on my face. Our failures based on his overflowing grace. Should we give out of obligation? That's not what I read either. Thank you. That's beautiful. No, that's not what I read. I read in this passage a filter. If I'm going to come up here and talk about giving and generosity and whole life generosity, then we better have it situated through the proper filter of grace because that's what I read. And when I read that first thing uh, in, in Luke 12 that said, your life will be demanded back from you, in my head I said, where have I, where have I read that before? Where have I read ransomed? And you see we have that beautifully in Ephesians 1, don't we? Because of the perfect gift of Jesus Christ sent into the world to hang on a cross while we were still sinners. If you're here this morning and you're checking out church, first of all, I apologize, okay? But not totally because you're going to get a real picture of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We're not going to spare you. We want to start day one with what a picture of really following him looks like. But if you're day one, hear that truth, that he was sent into the world to die for you while you were still a sinner, while you didn't have your life figured out. You didn't know how to follow him yet. And when he died, that was grace. That if you said yes, and you said, I'm trusting Jesus' blood alone to save me when I go to meet God, because everyone will, everyone will, no matter what the worldview, no matter what the philosophy, the Bible says that everyone will go to meet him, and that you can go to meet him, and you can have trust in his blood, that that is the one thing that saves us, his grace. But with that inheritance, we've been adopted. With that inheritance, there's implications for us as sons and daughters of God, and how we respond with that grace. Bucky talked about this in the previous Flourish uh, message within discipleship. He said that's, it's costly grace. 
Anything else is cheap grace. It is costly grace to take on the blood, to take on the forgiveness of the cross. All my sins yesterday, today, and all my sins yet to commit. That that came with a price and it requires a response. So there's grace, adoption, ransom. Your life will be demanded of you. That is Jesus' bar. That's the Bible's bar, not 10%. That's the bar of Jesus, his whole life generosity. Your life will be demanded from you. Verse 22, and Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're gonna eat, about your body, what you're gonna wear, for there's more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. And this is the moment where I love the Bible because it just reminds you there's nothing new under the sun. You know, garments, clothing was very critical in the first century Palestine, okay? First century time in Jesus' audience and way before that. Garments is a big deal. Many of you guys know uh, Bucky, who was just up here earlier, our lead pastor. You know he has three daughters. They're all grown and almost gone. And, uh, and they're wonderful, Jesus-loving girls. I mean, if I just gave in three of my people to follow Jesus, cool. No, I'm just kidding. I want all seven, okay? All seven are going to follow Jesus. They're going to love Jesus. But he had three girls. I have four. God bless me. God bless me. And God bless America. God bless us all, okay? These four daughters, and something you may not know about these, da- these three daughters is that they used to fight over clothes. I'm sorry, Regan, you're here right now. You're getting thrown under the bus in a major way. They used to. They probably still do fight over clothes. And my girls are already fighting over stuff, and they're going to continue to fight over stuff. And it's, it's such a challenge, but they love Jesus. And then we went to serve the homeless with the kids. Yesterday, I took just the oldest four, and I took them, and someone said, man, you know what, Ben? They were kind of teasing me. They're friends, so they, they get this type of audience. Like, Ben, your kids kind of look homeless. I said, you know what? We're doing something right! Because they dress themselves, and you know what? They're not going to intimidate someone by coming and wearing their Thanksgiving best to go serve the homeless. They're going to take, they're going to connect and resonate, and they're going to be real, and they're going to be authentic, and they're going to understand that the stuff that we're clothed in is nothing compared to being clothed with eternity. That's what one commentator said, and that's not my quote, but I love what he said. Clothe yourselves with eternal things. Clothe yourselves with eternity. Because understand, if I'm going to use kingdom language, what you have to understand about kingdom is that it's, there's a part of it that's futile. There's a part of it that's battle ready. If there's a kingdom of light, a kingdom of good, a kingdom of God, there's a kingdom of darkness. And we're going to talk about more of this in a second. But if the, if the enemy who runs the kingdom of darkness, if he can keep us distracted over appearances, over clothes, over the stuff, man, mission accomplished for him. If we can be kept distracted and therefore sidelined by thinking about all that other stuff. Verse 29. So do not be overly concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and do not worry about such things. For all the nations of the world pursue these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, pursue his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. He's not saying have nothing. He is saying worry about nothing, and he is saying something critical about eternity. What I just finished saying a second ago, clothe yourselves in eternity, throw your investments in either the, the investments of this world, which will fade, or in the investments either, or, or the investments of the kingdom, which will never fade. His answer is kingdom. It's his favorite topic. He cuts through rich, poor, worry. The answer, kingdom. Kingdom is so critical for us to understand this, you guys. I like it. There's an even better definition. I'll give you a brief one. A state on earth, on earth, what is kingdom? A state on earth, wherever God's will is done. A state on earth, wherever God's will is done. 
Where his will is done, there's territory going forth. When his will reigns over our pocketbooks and over our time investments and over how we use our God-given gifts, when his will is done over those areas, the kingdom's going forth. It is advancing, which is hope and love and grace. That's flourishing. That's flourishing. Those are the things that flourish. And I have to tell you that we don't like to talk about this, but this kingdom of God thing, it is real territory, and it is intensely, explicitly spiritual. It is spiritual. There is a spiritual realm outside this natural realm. Cover to the cover of the Bible, we're told that there's a spiritual realm in addition to this earthly realm. Not just spiritual realm, but evil forces at work in this world. Now, this is not tactics to scare you or to bring you fear. If you read the Bible, skip to the end, go to Revelation, and you can see who wins, okay? So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be filled with fear. But on this side of eternity, there is a very real battle being waged. And I love the words. I'm just going to use his words because I love this guy. I just recently discovered him. I know, I'm a little bit late for some of you in the room. This guy, Erwin McManus, wrote this book called The Barbarian Way. If you're a Christian in the room and you're thinking, man, this whole Christian thing, ho-hum, bah, just kind of plateaued. We've all been there. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying some of us have been there. You go out and get that book. Go out, go out and, and, and get this book. And here's a little snapshot to give you a preview. This is what he says. He says there is a barbarian revolt taking place. A barbarian's a good thing in this context. A barbarian is an is a on-fire Christian for the kingdom. And its command center is the kingdom of God. Everywhere the kingdom of God advances, there was a violent engagement against a dark kingdom. To be born of God is to be made a citizen in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is at war. Do not confuse this kingdom with paradise. Salvation is not re-entry back to Eden into a paradise lost. It's enlistment in the mission of God. Look, here's the tension. Uh, as the preacher, as those who sometimes communicate about our stuff and our money and our time, things that are most precious to us, there's often a tension to feel like you have to give this qual- qualifier. Like, you know what? Stuff is not bad. Our, our pretty shiny, nice things, that's not so bad. But if I go on to say that, what are we going to do? What are all of us going to do? Together, we're going to go home, and we're not going to be mad that someone drove our car off a cliff? We're not going to be mad that someone torched our wardrobe. The, the pathway, as you lead that comment all the way down, it goes, leads us inevitably to a place that says, you know what? I can't give that qualifier because I see Jesus asking for our whole life. I, am, I see him saying, these are the investments that will last forever. And I'm not going to judge you and condemn you. That's not the words of grace that I saw earlier from Ephesians. Instead, what I will challenge you to do is to pray. Is to pray. Send your time and your talent and your treasure through the filter of prayer. That's what I want you to do. Send your time, your talent, and your treasure through the filter of prayer. When was the last time we did that? When was the last time we sat down and said, you know what? I have this investment of my time. Like I said, the only commodity that you cannot get back once it's expended. Money, you can invest, break down, save, spend, get it back. Time, once it's spent, it's invested in that place. When was the last time we had just even a check? Through the filter of prayer, not judgment of condemnation. It doesn't work that way. You know, the studies have been done, scientific ones, like outside the church, that says that, that the genius of gratitude and generosity actually doesn't work if you do it out of obligation. All the joy and peace and, and, the, and the satisfaction I have that comes from giving, sacrificially giving my life, if you do it out of that place, or a need and a must, an obligation, it actually doesn't work. They've tracked the science behind that. It doesn't even, doesn't even have the same impact anymore. So I'm not here to do that, but I do want to let the words of Jesus himself speak. As we go to verse 32, 
and we start to wind down. This is what he says. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your stuff and give it to the poor. The literal is give alms, give alms. In the Bible, uh, poor is used as spiritual, spiritually poor. Uh, they don't have a relationship with God. They don't know the saving work of Jesus. And it's also very explicitly the poor, the physically and materially poor and oppressed. Provide yourselves purses that do not wear out, a treasure in heaven that never decreases, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He's saying, bend all that you are and all that you have towards the things that will last forever. Guys from the band, you can come up here. What I want us to see, you guys, when you face the great either ors, <laughs> when you face the great either ors of your time, your talent, your treasure, there is a way to invest those things in a kingdom that will never fail, a purse that has no holes in it, an investment that will transpire in eternal purposes. And never decreases is like the understatement of the century, verse 33. A better way to look at that is inexhaustible treasure. Inexhaustible treasure. When we make a deposit in the bank of generosity with our time, our talent, and our treasure. So that's the challenge. That's the prayer request. I want to end with two things. I want to end with a very practical opportunity for every single one of us. And I want to end with a story that is very, very particular to me. Um, when most people think of the church giving, they think of 10%. I've given that number uh, earlier. Okay, what most people don't understand is the Old Testament body of faithful Jews, okay, so there was uh, Adam and Eve, and a direct descendant of them was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The body of Israel was millions of people. These are real historical people that traveled the earth, and God gave a law for them. He, he broke down rules and regulations for them that would lead to flourishing, not because he's an evil, wicked, angry God, but because he said, look, if you stay within these bounds, it'll help you. <laughs> if you don't murder, <laughs> it's going to work out better for you, okay? That's Jesus has, uh, God has that wisdom. He's the wisdom of the whole world and the universe, right? Now, what, they, what he laid out for them was actually three types of tithe. Their tithe was closer to 23% on the year. Their tithe was closer to 23%. There was three kinds. I love this. It's stuck with me forever since I read it in a book called God and Money. Read it. It's wonderful. These guys humbly come at this topic. There's a Levitical tithe. The Levitical tithe Levitical was for the priests, for the musicians. They couldn't own land, so they depended on the gifts of others. The second tithe was the festival tithe. This was the annual celebration of God's deliverance out of Egypt. The Jews are in captivity. They were slaves. And God released them through mighty acts of wonder and awe. So they threw a party. Every year they threw a party. And their tithe could be um, accepted in terms of animals, food. The third tithe was charity tithe, something called a charity tithe. This is annual for strangers, foreigners, and the poor living among them. The poor living among us, you and me. I want you to remember three Ps. I've condensed it and rebranded it for you so you'll never forget. I want you to remember uh, priest, poverty, and party. I give to the church so that the, so that the spiritually poor can experience flourishing. That's why we give to the church. 10% is what someone called, I love what they said. They said, that's just training wheels. <laughs> Can you see that? Can you see how 10% is actually training wheels for a whole life generosity? About God wants to do and we lay it all on the line. So we give to the, to, to, to the priest. We give to poverty. We have these friends that Bucky talked about in South America. We have 300 kids. We have Hector and his family of four that you could give to that would save lives, a whole household can see another Christmas, not in captivity and poverty under a regime where when they have abdicated, gangs have taken over and it's the most brutal reality, some of the most dangerous places in the world now in Latin America. Poverty, priest, poverty. And yes, you can give to the party, okay? Say what you want about my mom-in-law. 
Um, she throws a fit. She shows an awesome party. My mom-in-law throws an awesome party. You guys totally missed the joke. What's happening? Sorry, I just went too quick on the gears. Okay? The three things are priest, poverty, and party. You can throw a party in Jesus' name. Yes, you could, actually. We're in the holiday season. And my mom-in-law, it's not enough that she's already hosted two or three things. She's going to host the staff Christmas party. She's going to host an engagement party. She's hosting all these parties. Why? Because Kathleen is just, like, filled with light and hope. And you get around her, and you can laugh and talk. And, yeah, have a glass of wine and you can slide that across the table and you can break bread with people and God is delighted with the way that she's using her home for kingdom purposes because what might transpire in terms of the relationships that come to that event God can use eternally so as you're trying to apply this to your life you're leaving the room today and you're thinking I just want you to think you have all kinds of opportunities it's not just mere 10% it's not just to your local church though that's wonderful I get to eat my family gets to keep working here that's awesome you got priest, poverty, and party two months ago. It's the last thing I'll say, I swear, bands. Okay, I'm going to wind it down, John. Okay, is that cool? It's the last thing I'm going to say. Two months ago, we had a pastor's luncheon. We, we pray for other churches in Costa Mesa. It's because we know the pastors. We have a relationship with them. And we had them over, it was our month to host. And we're sitting out there, right out there in that lobby, in that long table. And we were doing peaks and pits. Every pastor was sharing something they're grateful for, something they're thankful for. And they were sharing a pain point. We had him. That was the prompt we gave him. Share something that's painful, guys. Something that's hard right now. And I just listen as the guys go around the table. The first guy says, you know, we're praying for a, a building. Because right now we're meeting in elementary school. And there's a couple guys here that know about this. But set up and break down for a church that's renting somewhere else is no small business. There's no laughing matter. In fact, there's people that go and do that. And they give their lives to coming early Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to set up a stage, set up speakers, set up signs, get the whole place, the chairs, everything ready. And he's praying, God, man, I'm tired. I don't know if I'm going to make it to year three. If we could maybe somehow get a building. He goes on to the next pastor. The next pastor's got a wonderful startup right down the street. They're two years old. The church is. And he's praying, man, we need an administrator. And also we need a kids director. Because you know a lead pastor has no idea how to organize. And, and, and by the way, if we don't get a kids pastor, we're gonna, there's, no one's going to take us seriously about caring for the next generation for kids. And, again, you know, and then even us on Watermark, we're sharing, you know what, we're praying that God will continue to send us tenants, renters, people who rent the other units of this building so that we can, we can keep doing what we're doing, a ministry that lends itself towards flourishing. I was thinking about that for literally since that moment about this message. For two months I've been thinking, what could happen? That was a question I started the whole message with. What would happen if our time and our talent and our treasure was released in the ways, the plans, and the purposes of God? 165 billion, okay, cool. But what about these three churches on the corner in Costa Mesa who would like to continue to work towards the flourishing of people's hearts and souls? I can do that. And that's the call of Jesus. That's the call of Luke 12. Can we pray with me? Let's pray for this. How about we pray for it right now? Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for these amazing people who <laughs> in the midst of Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all the craziness and all the good things of being with people that we love would tolerate a message like this, Lord God, but it's your message, it's your word. That's the only way that I can even bring it today because it's your words, Jesus. So give us the grace to know how we are to use our lives, to bend our whole lives, all that we are and all that we have towards your purposes on this earth here and now for the benefit of the life yet to come. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. 
If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.